You are listening to a sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee, the historic church of Robert Murray McShane. For more sermon content, please visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. Church, and uh, we are a brand new church in Brothy Ferry with old folks from the community. And we've been there in Brothy Ferry working for nearly now 10 years, but this is our first year as Brothy Presbyterian. And uh, we are delighted that David uh, is there preaching. I have to say, he might have finished by now. Well, you know him better than I, so you can tell whether he's finished or not. And uh, it is good to be here sharing in this fellowship with one another through Christ Jesus our Lord. Um, We are going to read from the Old Testament. It's the book of Exodus, chapter 19. And we'll read only a few verses It's verses 4 to verse 6. Exodus chapter 19, verse 4 to verse 6. I do not have the page number if you're using the church Bible. So someone nearby, if you're having any struggles, surely he or she will give you a hand. Um, I'm reading from the ESV. Okay. I hope that's not an unforgivable sin. (laughs) Uh, So uh, I'll, I'll do the reading. Okay. Starting Exodus 19, verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and the holy nations, and the holy nation, these are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Amen. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's come before the word of God in prayer. Let us pray. O God and Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for the way this word brings us a word of encouragement, a word of instruction, a word of challenge and rebuke, but a word that is alive and a word that is spirit and truth according to Jesus' teaching, a word that comes from your mouth and never goes back to you or comes back to you empty. And we pray, Lord, that we all here would be under the instruction and the authority of the God Almighty who speaks through his word. And we pray, pray, God and Father, that your blessing would be with each one of us as we reflect as we meditate upon these words, and may it all be for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I don't know if from time to time you think about this. Of all people, God chose you, and God chose me. I am one of those people whose personality is sometimes very introvert, And sometimes I think too much about myself. Yes, introverts can be very selfish, even though they do not look like that. But the point is, we keep on reflecting upon ourselves all the time. If we are achieving our goals, if we are succeeding, if we are doing it right. But also there is a huge burden of uh, worthlessness attached sometimes to people who are introvert. And we keep thinking that there is always somebody 
who is better than us, wiser than us, stronger than us, more apt, more capable. Well, you can add your own words if you are one of us. So the question here is quite pertinent. Of all people, God chose you and me. And sometimes we ask God, didn't you have anybody else better in mind? And that actually deflates and defeats the whole purpose of Bible's teaching and God's teaching about grace. Because grace is not about our worth. Actually, grace is all about our worthlessness. And because we are who we are, we need Him who is who He is. The God Almighty, our Father of light, the Father of Jesus Christ, Christ the Savior, and the blessing, the comfort, the encouragement and that wonderful work of adopting us into the family of God that comes through the Holy Spirit as well. God chose you and me for what purpose? What will I make of this purpose? Do I know the purpose? Do I reflect? Do I meditate upon this purpose? Do I think of where do I fit in this that we call the church of God, the body of Christ? Regardless whether it's the free church or Brote Presbyterian or any church, as long as it's the church of Christ, saved by his sacrifice, washed clean by his blood shed on the cross, so what do I make of it? Where do I stand? How do I react to this initial basic understanding of who we are as a church? We've been chosen by God. And of all people you can imagine that would fit the, the script, he chose you and he chose me. The context of these verses is a wonderful, a powerful context that sometimes we remember at Easter times, other times uh, some other churches will have another opportunity, opportunities to reflect on this. But it is a context of liberation. Israel is now free from the bondage of slavery to Egypt, liberation from a powerful political and military force. It is a context of confrontation. Although some commentators will discuss about it, I still think it's quite uh, plausible and useful to reflect how the ten plagues in Egypt somehow tackled and defeated and challenged some, if not all, the gods of Egypt. And for example, I have here some references. Hecate was represented as a frog, and Hathor represented as a cow or a bull. And of course, there are other references to the Nile as being somehow divine, and the very a person of Pharaoh in his post and his position of the highest rank in, whole, in the whole of Egypt, a living God walking among the Egyptians, and the firstborn was slain by the power of God. Egypt was defeated. And again, another commentator will say, not for the purpose of instructing the Egyptians, because apparently if they had learned the lesson, probably they would all have left Egypt and went together with Israel. But the people who were there, and the chains and the sufferings and the struggles of slavery, they learned that there is one and only 
God, all-powerful, who defeats all the other uh, pretenders to the post. There is a context of protection. Instead of being a treasured possession of some other king or kingdom, the Israelites are now God's possession and are to live under his protection. It's very interesting that the word here for eagle can either mean eagle or can mean uh, a vulture, the griffin vulture, which is interestingly enough another uh, image or picture for one of the many uh, Egyptian deities, Egyptian gods. This particular god was assigned the task of protection. And here, once again, God is saying, do not worry about any facilities, about any easy ways this world can offer you because real, true, stable, permanent, eternal protection, that's with me. So I'm not that kind of false God, but come under my protection and see how powerful and long, like this particular vulture, how long my wings are to sustain you and to make you, like in Isaiah chapter 40, soar with wings like eagles and renew your strength in your walk with me, says the Lord. Liberation, confrontation, protection, and of course, the word is here, covenant. They are now approaching Sinai. It's been more or less three months since they have left Egypt, verse 1 Talks, us, talk, talks to us about the third new moon, so more or less three months. And they are approaching what would then be regarded as the, the Mount of God, the Holy Mount, Mountain. And as they are there, they are preparing to enter into this special kind of relationship with God. A covenant is a kind of an agreement between two parties In relation to you and to God, that means that he is the most powerful, the most wise, the most intelligent, the one who has all and who is, who fills all in all by his grace and mercy. And here we are, back to the question at the beginning, why me? But anyway, he has chosen you. And he says, come and live by my word, live under my command and rule and instruction, Come and believe that in me you have life. Come and see that what I propose to you in New Testament language through the new covenant in my son's blood. Come and have life, life eternal, life to the fullness of what it means to be alive here and forever. Come and join me and be mine. Come to me not as a bond slave, although the New Testament in particular will use the bond slave imagery to reflect and to think about some aspects of our relationship with God. But come to me as my child. Come to me as my possession. Come to me as my people. And in response to that proposal, we say, yes. And we say, we are yours. And in the language of the book of Song of Songs, we reply to him also saying, and you are mine. My beloved is mine, 
and I am his. So some theologians reflected about, about the nature of the covenant, and I like one in particular who taught me years ago. He said, it's a covenant of love, and it's a covenant of life. As well, it is a covenant of promise, and therefore you can't engage with that without faith. If you do not believe, you still do not know him. If you do not believe, you still have not yet tasted what it is to be under his mercy and to be under his leadership. It's a covenant of promise as well as a covenant of obedience. Echoing here the words of Jesus Christ, he who hears my commandments and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will see the manifestation, the revelation, and the presence of myself and my Father. So as we think about it, surely we understand that God is calling us to be His. God is calling us to live. God is calling us to freedom. God is promising us protection. And God is not wanting anything that is provisional because covenant has an element of endurance and permanence. It's something to be done once and for all. Maybe we need to reaffirm it again and again and again. But as you read throughout the Bible, it's the same proposition. It's the same engagement because it's the same Father. It's the same God. It's the same love. It is the same promise. It is the same word. This covenant that shows God as our liberator the God that defeats all those who raise any, any issue or who tries to stimulate or to, to put fear in our hearts. Anyone is confronted by him. It's a God who protects us. It's a God who embraces us in, in his love and who offers life. He wants us to be defined by his calling. And he defines his chosen people and he defines them with a new status and a new identity. Those people in the Old Testament leaving Egypt, they were changed or they had to move from being just another ethnic group. And I'm so glad we're here in a multi-ethnic gathering So we have people from Portugal, people from China maybe, people from Brazil, and I heard people from Canada as well and from other parts of the world. Isn't that wonderful? Maybe a kind of miniature reflection, imperfect as it is, of what is going to be there as we read it throughout the book of of Revelation from all nations, all tongues, all tribes gathered together and somehow language is no longer a problem. And it doesn't say that we will forfeit our own personal language or the language of our hearts, but somehow we will understand each other and together there we will be there with one accord, with one heart, saving the one and only Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, seated at the, high, at the right hand of God's majesty. From an ethnic, an, ethnic, an ethnic group, sorry, to a nation. Not in isolation, but in mutual respect and help, living together as God's nation to serve to his purposes. So think about 
cross-denominational partnerships based on the core truths of the gospel and the apostolic confession of our faith. And it's wonderful to see you know, a vivid example of this, otherwise I wouldn't be here. And throughout the service, we wouldn't be praying for St. Kilda's Church, Baptist Church, um, in the Chalmers uh, Char- uh, Ardler area. It's wonderful to see how we integrate and we form alliances and we associate one another based on that truth that is immovable and unchangeable. God is our Savior. God, sorry, Christ is our Savior. Christ is our Lord. We are His, and He is ours. Interestingly enough, in this covenant that defines our new status and our new identity, we move from being ordinary to being special. And back to the introverts here. Yes, I know you don't think you are. But if Christ died for you on the cross, if he endured the penalty for your sins, if he shed his blood on the cross, and if you appropriated or took possession of that truth, believing that when he was doing that, he was doing for that for many people, but he was doing that for you. He makes you to be special. I don't want to think about what you think, who you were before Christ, but after him, you are the apple of God's eye. And we have to remind ourselves of that. There is this whole approach that God makes towards that nation They do not have a proper army. They are not well organized politically. There are still so many uh, 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 habits, bad habits, that they have learned throughout centuries under the bondage of Egyptian rule that needed to be purged and to be removed from their mindset and from their practices. And yet, there and then, God knows it all. And he knows you're not perfect. And he knows that there's still so much to be worked on you. But he sees the work finished. And he says, you are mine, so you're no longer ordinary. I am setting you apart for me. And for nothing else but to be holy. I don't know that sometimes we have some reservations to those who declare themselves to be saints and that fake halo on top of their heads and you know, (laughs) come on. But that's the word that the Bible assigns to every single believer in Jesus Christ. When Paul wrote to the Ephesians, the reading we had earlier in the service, he wrote to the saints in Ephesus. Which one of them? All of them with no distinction. Do you believe in Christ? He has made you holy, meaning he set you apart to be his. He set you apart to be a citizen of his kingdom. He set you apart to be this special people on earth. Not to be covered in pride and hubris, but to humbly walk with him and to move from darkness to the light of his knowledge and to the glory of his 
presence. In today's world, there is this huge concern about being somebody. I want to be somebody. To be a nobody is a terrible fate. And let me tell you, you are indeed somebody in God's eyes. You are indeed that one person he thought of among the many millions and billions of people he's been saving throughout all these generations. You are there. And there's one thing that God can do that sometimes I as a minister, I can't. He could see you, your name, your DNA, your pedigree, your provenance, everything. And he would address you in a very specific way saying, I've chosen you and I've saved you. At the same time that he would widespread that calling, including all those who in the past, in the present, and in the future will be assigned and designated to be the church of Christ. We become special because of he who called us. We become special because of what he did for us. The lengths that he took to accomplish his plan of yours and my salvation. And we become special because of what he promises to do to us. And what is the promise? The promise is to establish us and to accomplish in us his plan to make us his people in every detail of it. We still have to confess sins, I know that. And when we're doing here together the confession of our sins, I tried my best to put some flesh into the structure of the prayers, things that I should have said and I didn't, things that I said that I'm so sorry I can't take them back. They've already been said, and now I can only seek for amendments, for forgiveness, and some form of restitution in Christ. Things that I should have done, and I have to think of those things, as well as things that I went beyond uh, the, the, the measures of, of politeness or, or selflessness, and I revealed myself still struggling with a sinful nature. I know that. Probably you know that depending on which moment you are in, at which stage you are in and you walk with God. Maybe you know that better than I. I don't know. But he will accomplish everything. There is a day that I will stand and you will stand before the throne of God sinless. Because not only the curse of sin will be removed, not only the power of sin will be finally removed. But the very presence of sin will be dealt with. I long for that. Do you long for heaven? I'm not asking anybody to, okay? But longing for that place of perfection. Longing for that final destination. To enjoy everything that God has done and is doing for you and for me as his covenant people because he sees you and me as his special holy possession. The only self-worth worth retaining here is 
that one that is originated from and that self-worth that is also given to us by God. Because we're doomed, now you're saved. We're slaves. And the passage says that he is constituting us as a nation of kings. And the second and last point, the first one is this relationship with God, this covenant defying the chosen one's new status and identity. And the second point is that this covenant, this relationship also states our duty. And it is a royal duty engaged with a different kingdom and also engaged with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. We love and serve this King. And we have this allegiance. I was sharing with my congregation last Sunday that uh, now it's, it's been four years already that we, we became British citizens. So I could say that I'm Brazilian, but I can say that I'm British. No, you can't, I can't. So. <laughs> uh, but anyway, and in the, during the citizenship ceremony, you have to uh, swear your allegiance or to state uh, uh, your, or to, to declare your oath of allegiance to, to the crown and to the constituted and of, of established authorities of, of the land, which I did. And there's a picture, a nice picture of the queen. And we took pictures of us beside the picture of the queen. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. But, but the point is, uh, there is an element, although for some it's just a transition in order for you to have the right to, to bear and to wear or to use the, 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 the British passport and to have access to all the countries still within the EU. Uh, I, you have to think about it. There is an element of allegiance. There is an element of commitment to this land, to the people of this land, to what is happening to this land, the political implications of that. And you have to deal with that because you become not simply a migrant in this land. You are now a citizen of this land. We are citizens of God's kingdom. And our allegiance should be above all else to that kingdom. And you know, in the days we're living, that allegiance can be very costly. But do not lose heart. We are called to promote and defend this kingdom. Remember the words of Jesus Christ. He will establish his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against her. Because the gates of hell represent the other kingdom. We one day might have belonged to that kingdom no more. We belong to the kingdom of him who is king of kings and lord of lords. There is a royal duty involved. There is also a priestly duty. Because the passage says here that God is constituting you and me. It says here, verse number 6. And you shall be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. A kingdom of priests. Well, we know what priests do or did in the Old Testament. 
Sometimes it's hard to tell what priests do today. If you're Catholic, if you're Anglican, well, that's not my background, so I won't say a word about that. But the priestly duty, mediating God's blessing and message to the nations, the priest would represent the people before God, would go into the temple or the tabernacle, would minister his offerings and his sacrifices, would come out and representing God, would raise his hands and then bless the people waiting for that to happen so that they could go under God's peace into their uh, daily affairs. A priest mediates And of course, it is implied that there is an element of reconciliation and blessing. This is what we are here for. We live in a world filled with hatred, filled with animosity, filled with anger. Some of them, you would say, are justifiable, but in general, they are not. And the priestly work should be there promoting reconciliation and blessing. Priests in the Old Testament would have another task, and that was of teaching and instruction. And we are called by Christ, not only the ministers, but all those who are members of the church, his church, one way or another, to teach the nations the ways of the gospel, to preach Christ, to live Christ, to witness to Christ, and to stick with Christ, even if silently and quietly in a very peaceful, but powerfully defiant way to the ways of our generation and calling them to to be, to know, and to learn what we learn and to be where we are. And of course, priests would be involved in ministries of service and love, so much so that in the Old Testament, priests should be... uh, set apart in a way that they would not be involved in secular or, as we call it, you know, regular civil affairs. They would not own property, for example, so that they would be fully dedicated to the work at at the tabernacle or the temple. And by doing that, they are making an option to relinquish some rights in order to serve the nation. And to do that, of course, not simply out of duty. That's 1 Corinthians 13. It has to be, if you are church, if I am church, it has to be out of love. So both these points, our duty and our new identity, they work together to, so that we are encouraged by God's word to reach out to the world with a new lifestyle and a new message, teaching and leading the nations towards God. Just once more back to the opening words. Of all people, God chose you and God chose me. And I'm not saying that as a question. It's an affirmation. It's a statement. Do you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you confessed your sins to him? And have you received his promise of forgiveness? So let me tell you, God chose you and God chose me in Christ. And he did so to give you this new identity. 
and to state to you and to me our duties under his leadership and rule so that we will lead the nations towards him. An Old Testament theologian, Walter Kaiser Jr., in his book, Mission in the Old Testament, says, he said these following, following words, the people of God in all ages have been one. And the principle here is, you know, the Old Testament people are just the church of the Old Testament, okay? So there are so many things happening there that could relate to your life and to mine. The people of God in all ages have been one. Together, they have been called to the same privilege of service and ministry on behalf of the coming man of promise, Jesus Christ. All were to be agents of God's blessings to all on earth. Nothing could be clearer from the missionary and ministry call issued in the passage we have just read. Now, therefore, if you'll indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, says the Lord. And you shall be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Let us pray. Oh, dear God and Father, we pray for grace and mercy, Lord. Mercy, Lord, because sometimes we hear and listen to your words and we struggle to believe in them, to believe that you care so much about us, to believe that you really treat us as your special treasured possession, to believe, Lord, that there is an element of holiness in the way you have chosen us. Grant us, Lord, this ability to receive your truth as it, as it is. We pray, Lord, for your renewing power upon us, Lord, because surely you not only declare who we are, but you infuse us with your power in order, Lord, so that your words will materialize themselves into the way we behave, the way our thought patterns are conducted, the way, Lord, we engage in our relationships with one another and with those who do not know you yet. So, Lord, we pray that you'd grant us this perception that you are indeed at work for us, but also at work in us. And we pray for this church to continue to flourish in its calling, Lord, calling to be church here, calling to be uh, a kingdom, a priestly kingdom, uh, a nation of kings, Lord, proclaiming the word of Christ, sharing his gospel, and encouraging the city to find joy and peace in you and in you only. And may it all, Lord, be for the glory of your name and the glory of your Son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from St. Peter's Free Church in Dundee. If you found this sermon has been helpful to you, please help us to continue building up and assisting the people of God. 
visit our website at stpeters-dundee.org.uk. For information and training on persuasive evangelism and how to share your faith biblically, please visit the website of SOLAS, the Centre for Public Christianity, at solas-cpc.org. Once again, that website address is solas-cpc.org. Thanks for listening.